This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who came through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Don't trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and don't shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors to forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers? But I've been watching declares the Lord. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all that I command you, that it may go well with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider these challenging words, as always, we're praying for insight from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jeremiah was a, uh, a messenger from God, as you heard, to the tribe of Judah. So by this time in uh, ancient Israel history, you had uh, two kingdoms. So the, the people of Israel have been uh, divided into two camps. You had uh, Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. And in Judah, you had the great city of Jerusalem, which they had great pride in, which meant that in the midst of them, they also had the ancient temple, which was a big deal. The temple meant something. And so Jeremiah was sent by God to communicate to these people about what was to come. And uh, so throughout the book of Jeremiah, you get this fateful message that there is ruin uh, coming. Bad things are going to happen. There's going to be a foreign army that's going to come. In fact, Jeremiah predicts exactly what was to come when uh, Babylon would take over and deport many of the of the, uh, those in the royal household. That is, this is recorded in the book of uh, Daniel. You can read that. But Jeremiah is predicting before it was going to happen. And so it's a, it's a fateful message that things are going to happen. And so as we consider the text, there's a couple things that jump out for, for us. First of all, right off the bat of today's text, you get a conditional promise. Reform your ways and your actions, God said, and I will let you live in this place. Now, uh, this was maybe an audacious claim because the people had already been living in the land for, for many years. If you go back in the story, the land had been given to Abraham and his children. And so there was certainly some entitlement among the people, like this is our land. And then um, again, this temple was there. And so they put a lot of hope and trust in the temple. In fact, God had to call that out. He says in verse four, don't trust in deceptive words and say, and the deceptive words is interesting because there was, apparently there were uh, false prophets who were 
prophesying or communicating supposed messages from God that were opposite of what Jeremiah was saying. And so God is now coming and speaking through Jeremiah and saying, don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And so the people were investing in the fact they, they lived in this promised land and they had this glorious symbol of God's presence among them. And they were putting all their hope and trust in this land and, and, and in their identity and in this uh, temple. And so God... Uh, tells them this corrective message. If you really change your ways, again, now we're going back to the conditional promise. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and don't shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this uh, place. And so God, again, calling for reform from the people. Then he goes to tell exactly, as we read, the things that God has commanded, but then also what we shouldn't do, what they shouldn't do. But look, you're tr trusting in these deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known? And so God is calling out from them, and then he, he ends in verse 11 with these faithful, faithful words, uh, I am watching you. I am watching you. The God who is asking for obedience and telling us, telling them that he's watching them. And so today our question is this, is God allowed to tell me what to do or not? This is an individual question. The Bible makes a case that God is permitted to tell humans what to do. And then he calls us to obedience. I added verse 23 in chapter 7 there is a little bonus and God is very clear, obey me, obey me. Now, uh, this can be a little bit disconcerting uh, for some of us because the idea of obedience, and spe specifically obedience from God, can be a little bit triggering because there are a lot of implications from that. We'll talk about that in a minute, why those implications are maybe disconcerting. But I just want to acknowledge that it can be disconcerting, you know, religious institutions or organizations or even ourselves. Uh, we have perpetuated this idea of obedience, and that hasn't always come off very well. In fact, it's often led to some pretty horrific things, and yet we have to deal with the reality that not only here in, Je in Jeremiah, but in other places, God indeed is calling his people, those people who are going to identify themselves as being with him, to obedience. And so our theme today is obedience, and our big question is, are we okay with allowing God to tell us what to do? A little later in Jeremiah, in verse 9, or chapter 9, we read this. This is what the Lord says. Again, more messages from God, from, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from God. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast, boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness, and on all these things, I de delight, declares the Lord. And so God is asserting that he is worthy of being obeyed based on two premises. One, he is the great God, creator God of the universe. All right? And secondly, that he has 
human's best interest at heart. So he knows everything because he's created everything, but he also cares about things like justice and, and, and righteousness. And so because of these two elements, he, is, he has the authority to ask us to follow what he asks us to obey. But this aside, the people in Jeremiah's day, they clearly had a problem with the idea of obedience. In fact, they covered over their lack of obedience by being pious and religious. So they were still coming to the temple. They were still uh, acting like everything was okay. They were still doing religious things. uh, But then it wasn't corresponding with the, the true calling that God was asking them to be about. And so... Uh, This leads us to our second question today, and that is, what inhibits us from actually obeying God? What is it that gets in the way? The the text answers the question, is God allowed uh, to ask us to tell us what to do? The text is pretty clear. Yes, God is allowed to tell his followers what to do, as disconcerting as that may, may be for us. The second question we have to wrestle with is, what inhibits us from actually uh, obeying God? Now, I... I searched for this on ChatGPT. Have you used that yet? Okay, so I said, I asked ChatGPT, today's message is sponsored by ChatGPT. I asked ChatGPT a general question, what like inhibits a person from obeying something? Okay, and here here were their answers. I actually think they're pretty good. Human nature, ChatGPT said, you know, humans are corrupt. We are innately or inherently designed with a flaw that makes us not want to listen to authority. ChatGB said there's a fear of the unknown that inhibits us from obeying authority, or we lack trust in the authority, or we have personal beliefs that contradict what the authority is asserting, and so that inhibits our ability to obey, or there may be other psychological or emotional factors. This is ChatGPT's list. I actually think it's a pretty solid list, all right? But so then I went to TI, which is Todd's intelligence. You can't find it on the web yet. They're working on it. Uh, there's some problems. Anyway, this is not TI. This is not, this is, this is, this, we're getting this from the from, from, from other sources. Okay, so let's think about, again, what is it that inhibits us from actually obeying, all right? So I, I assert three. ChatGPT said six, so it's half. Okay, how about this one? We have manufactured the idea about God that he doesn't actually care about how we behave. Now, there's a pendulum that's swung throughout history, and the pendulum on one side is like God is absolutely obsessed with every little detail that you do, and, and that, 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 that pendulum, that side is like, has been very popular in Christianity through the years. It's still, still around. So there's the pendulum, like God is obsessed as to whether you eat cheese or not, or, or you know, exactly what color your clothing is, and all of these things. Okay, so you get this extreme, God doesn't care, but the pendulum has swung the other way, even in contemporary Christianity, that God doesn't really care because he covers us with his grace and what we do doesn't matter. So neither of these pendulum sides are completely accurate. They're somewhere in the middle. And, and for many in Western Christianity, we've manufactured the idea that God isn't really all that concerned with how we uh, behave as, as long as we generally are following what we believe, right? 
God is so loving that he will overlook the harmful things that we do to ourselves or, with, with, or to each other. The problem is, I mean, just right off the bat, this doesn't make any sense. Because if God cares for humans, if he cares for us, and he's the one who came up with the idea that he is like a parent, all right? A mother chick or, a, uh, or the, the, the father in heaven, these are metaphors that God has given for us to understand the relationship he wants to have with us, all right? So these are parental uh, metaphors. And if he's using that metaphor to describe himself, if anybody's been a parent or had a parent or known parents, you know that parents care about the behavior of their kids. Not because they're autocrats and just want everything to happen, but because they love their kids and they want their kids to have the best experience, but not only have the best experience by themselves, but also to treat others so others can have the best experience. So the idea that, that, that God has no concern about our behavior just doesn't make any sense. God is concerned for us. He wants our best. You can hear that in Jeremiah chapter 7. He wants our best. He's a God of justice. He's a God of kindness. He's calling us into a relationship that's going to be good for us. And he knows best. So he's like, obey because it's going to be better for you. But we have a difficult time obeying because We've let this reality or this, 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 this falsehood that God actually doesn't care about how we behave kind of permeate our experience. Secondly, we have a difficult time embracing the idea of obedience because we're afraid that obeying God will inhibit us somehow. ChatGPT actually got to this, that it's going to, our, our obedience or, or, or the called obedience is going to affect what we really want to do. And it's going to affect our outcomes. We don't really trust that God indeed does have our best interests at heart, and so that inhibits us from actually embracing and doing what he uh, wants. And I don't know about you, but I can resonate with that. There are some things I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I can't do that, because if I do that, it's going to affect this, and this is for my best interest. And God is like, no, no, I've got your best interest at heart. Do what I'm asking, and everything is going to be work, work out, but... There's a, 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 that requires trust. And we don't always have that. And we think we have our own best interests at heart. And so we struggle with this idea of obedience. This is not TI. You can see I had nothing to do with this. This is, this is, this is, this is good info. Okay, finally, we are inhibited from our ability to really embrace obedience because the, thing God, the things God actually wants for us to do are often overshadowed by the things that we think God expects from us. Okay, so for uh, certainly thousands of years in Christi Christian history, but if you really think about all religious history, uh, we have been really good about coming up, Christians in particular, about coming up with extra things that we think are important and making them out to be uh, laws, right? And sometimes we get so into those things that they overshadow the things that God is really asking for us. Again, we see this in Jeremiah chapter 7. They're like, we've got the temple. Now, God had initiated the building of the temple. So it was a, it was a God thing. But they were so obsessed with the, the temple and the practices in the temple that when they came to the, the temple, they thought by just being there and being around this thing that it was going to like magically cleanse them of all the other bad behavior that they had done. And so they were putting all their efforts into, into uh, one thing, 
and, and neglecting the other. And God is like, you got to reform your ways. But again, we do the same thing. Humans are very good about coming up with things that we feel like we should do. So in fact, people who, are, who would even identify themselves as not being religious, we all have our laws in our minds about how we're, the world is supposed to work and how we're supposed to work. So whether we made those laws up or we, we discern them from what we think works best, we have a way in which we think the world should work in which we should work, and we put those, often put those laws in the primary place and we keep those laws. But God is like, you know, sometimes you're making up laws that are actually harmful to you and are interfering with you doing what God really requires. Well, what does God really require? What is, what is he really requiring? Jeremiah said it. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow and don't shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not follow other gods that will harm you, then I will let you live in this place. God is like justice, <laughs> righteousness, looking out for those who are pressed and the foreigner and taking care of, of these. This is what God is asking for. It's, these are God's commands. Look out for each other. Take care of each other. Don't oppress each other. If there are those in need, take care of them. For God, this is like, this is the most important thing. Don't keep coming to the temple and saying, the temple, the temple, the temple, and neglect matters of justice and righteousness. Take care of each other. Treat each other justly. Throughout Christian history, we've messed this up time and time again. Horrible things. You know, I don't need to tell you. Horrible things have happened in the name of Christianity, in the name of religion. Meanwhile, while the people who are perpetrating those horrible things, they keep coming back to worship on Sunday or Saturday morning, like nothing has happened. <laughs> Terrible things Christians have perpetuated, leaned into the, 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 the minute things. Well, I gotta be at worship on Saturday morning or whatever. Meanwhile, not treating each other justly, oppressing of people. God is like, you got to reform your ways. Justice, mercy, <laughs> righteousness. These are what God cares about. This is what God requires. And so when God is calling us to obey, he's calling us to think about each other, to care for the other. Calling us to reformation. If you're not doing these things, doing other religious practices that are sometimes pointless, what are you doing? And so we've acknowledged that there are reasons why we struggle uh, with actually obeying God. And uh, we as humans uh, uh, maybe resist obedience to God for various uh, reasons. Again, the whole idea of uh, of obedience can be triggering for us. But when we recognize that God is calling us to obedience that is related to how we treat each other and even treat ourselves, maybe some of that triggering can go away and all the baggage of the idea of obedience can be uh, flushed away and we can understand what God is really calling us into to care for our brothers and sisters in humanity. 
When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When Syria or Turkey experience tragedy, it hurts everybody. When there's a war in Ukraine, it hurts everyone. Act justly. Be about mercy. God is calling us to be obedient in these things. Not get caught up in the things that we think are important. So, uh, where do we go from here? Because, you know, the reality is we struggle with this. The idea of, of following God and being obedient to God, especially when it comes to big things like caring for others, even caring for others that we may have a difficult time with, that can be incredibly challenging for us. And so, uh, what hope do we have? How do we move forward? How do we actually obey in these matters? How do we treat people justly and, and do righteousness and, 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 and help those who are oppressed? Well, it starts with Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, was obedient. The great God of the universe who became uh, human was obedient, obedient to the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 30, we read these words. This is Jesus talking. I, by myself, can do nothing, Jesus said. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus was obedient. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, he says this on his, in the night before his, his death, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. And then we read in Luke chapter 23 these words. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two. There's that temple that Jeremiah said, don't just talk about the temple, the temple, the temple. Now the temple is torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Jesus was obedient. And the good news for us is that because Jesus was obedient to the great God of the universe, as we confess faith in him, we have a new relationship with obedience ourselves. And we too can do the things in which God requires of us to act justly, to help those who are impressed, oppressed, and act with righteousness. The Apostle Paul, he said it like this. This is Romans chapter 8. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. When he says in us, he's talking about the us of those who confess faith in the Lord Jesus. You, you confess faith, you become part of the community, and the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is affirming that when Jesus died and rose again and ascended, something happened that enabled you and I and anybody on this planet to tap into power that we do not have on our own 
to be obedient to God when he calls us to be just and to not oppress people and to take care of each other and to be concerned when one of us hurts, but not just be concerned, but to help to make a difference in a broken world. He helps us to see what's really important and get down to his business, but only as he works in us. And so God is calling us into a relationship that includes obedience to him, doing what he asks. But what he asks is both good for us because he cares about our best interests, but also good for our brothers and sisters around us. No more oppression, no more injustice, no more inequity, because God working in us, making us obedient to him, helps us in our relationship with others. May God help us to be obedient to him today. Amen.